0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices through faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode number 150. Let's go. No, truly so excited to celebrate this milestone with you. Hard to believe that I've been doing this for almost three years. And man, it wouldn't be any fun if you weren't here. I love, love, love connecting with you guys all over the interwebs, and I'm thankful for you. And I really do pray every time we put on an episode that our intentional conversations help you move closer to Jesus. That's what we want. We want to help you reclaim good practices for faith and for life. So uh, here we are, episode 150, and today I get to sit down with Liz Woodson. Liz Woodson is a theologian. She's a voice about discipleship, which I love. She's a pastor. She's ridiculously smart. I think you're going to love listening to her her conversation. Um, She's got that right balance of practical and super super smart. So I I just love it. I think we have a a great dialogue about her latest resource, Embrace Your Life. It's all about sitting in the pain and how lament is pregnant with hope. Some really good stuff here that I think you're going to enjoy. And if you do enjoy it, do me a favor, hit that button that says subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts at. I use Overcast, but wherever you listen, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify. It really does go a long way to help people find the podcast. And and hey, maybe even share this episode with a friend. We love, love, love uh, hearing about the referrals. And when people tell us they're sharing the episodes out there, we're just incredibly thankful for that. Also, guys, you may or may not know, but I'm a part of the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network. That's right, just a group of like-minded podcasts who are all about helping you grow in the faith. So there's some great podcasts you need to check out, the Potokiesis Podcast, the Plain Truth Podcast, and there's more and more coming. So to learn more about Spirit and Truth, uh, to get connected, go to spiritandtruth.life, spiritandtruth.life, all over the interwebs. And now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Elizabeth Woodson. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have author, uh, speaker, and theologian, Liz Woodson. Liz, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Yeah, Tony, thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation.
0: Well, I have to say that there aren't many people who I talk to who um, who are so passionate about disciple-making, and I I love disciple-making. It is my absolute favorite thing to talk about in the church. So uh, I would love to hear a little bit about how you got started as somebody, um, how you got started on this kind of passionate discipleship journey? Because yeah. you you talk a lot of, about it a lot on your platform, and that's not super common. It's not as, it's just not very trendy.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the long arduous work of disciple making it doesn't make for quick uh, posts. Um, you know, for me, I always say that all people's journey with the Lord, or what they teach on, or kind of what you hear from them the most, is usually comes from their own life. And so my love for discipleship really is rooted in this nagging question I had since I was a kid. I grew up in a Christian household. My parents are Christians, wonderful people. Um, But because Jesus was just what we did when I came to Christ, not much changed. And so it Mm. took years of me trying to figure out what is the gospel for me? Not for my parents. What is it for me? Why does this matter? Why do I give my life to this? And really being in places where I wasn't being discipled. And I was just so hungry for the word. And so that for me has birthed a desire to want to take people on the journey I believe God has taken me on to find the deep things, to go from having a shallow faith that's not strong enough to handle the hard seasons to really substantively knowing this is who God is, this is who I am, this is what I've been called to, and this is the beauty of my faith even when it doesn't feel like it's beautiful. Um, but it's my own story of high school, of college, of after college, and you know, all the things we do, and the Lord brings us back. Um, <laughs> and he has met me in that place, and I want to take people on that same journey.
0: So uh, I'm I'm curious, was there someone in your faith journey who was that Paul presence for you, who, who walked alongside you in your journey of faith, and kind of discipled you? Or was it more, did you have to kind of figure it out as you went?
1: It was a little bit of both. And so I definitely would say that my hunger kept me going back. You know, I worked for a church. I worked for two different churches in Dallas. And so I know what it's like to kind of be on the other end of people getting lost in the hustle and bustle of church. And so, you know, sometimes you have to be not take no for an answer. I'm going to need y'all to call me back and put me in a small group. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so I had some good mentors in college and mentors who after college invited me to join a small group. And it was life on life for me. So it wasn't just me sitting in a classroom and learning information. Information is great, we need it. But it was people who could call me on my stuff and say, Elizabeth, I see this in your life and I need you to do better. Um, Or people who could walk beside me in the hard moments, people who could answer my questions, or people who could just model for me good Christian community. And those relationships, specifically after college with my college mentors were really significant in my own discipleship journey.
0: That's awesome. How, how do you find uh, the people that you're going to pour into today? I mean, obviously, you're you're doing it on your platform and you guys yeah. are doing the uh, you're giving your your Bible in 90, which I love, by the way, on your Instagram. <laughs> if, if you're not following us on Instagram, go follow her. It's a good follow. She's putting out good biblical content. But like uh, on your life on life stuff, how do you discern mm-hmm. um, one of the things we talk about? And I was kind of trained up with the navigators. We talk about being fat, faithful, yep. available, teachable. Right? How do you discern who you're going to pour into? Because I'm sure that there are a lot of young women who are who are knocking at the door for that mentorship or that intentional discipleship.
1: Yeah, usually I try to stick close to home, which is my local church. And so these are people who are showing up in the spaces that I am already, people I know. Um, and so it's not a brand new. I have people who I've just sent an email to. And so I also believe in kind of the cold call discipleship request uh, because the <laughs> Lord can move in really powerful ways. But it's just women that I'm already in relationship with. And I was going to say that same acronym that you gave, because I have found that people have to be hungry. Um, And so generally when I'm meeting with someone for the first time, I just ask them, what do you why do you think that I can help you on your journey? Um, And some people because there's specific things I do. I'm a theologian. So we're going to take a deep dive into the text. We're going (laughs) to learn some truth. And some people, they're not ready for that. That's not the season of life they're in. And so I want to make sure that me and whoever the Lord has brought alongside is, are a good fit and that I can help them and send them on the next next step of the journey, whether that's me or even, hey, you might want to call this person and I think they might be a better fit for you. But I usually have this introductory conversation about what they want to do and where they want to go in their relationship with the Lord, because ultimately it's their personal kind of, I want it spirit that's going to help them uh, be able to walk on it, be consistent in the journey.
0: Yeah, that's very similar to what I do. That big, ba- that first conversation, once it's time, like to, to where the rubber meets the road, is super important. Because right. I always tell people that we're not going to do this unless you're going to go do it for someone else. That right. that spiritual reproduction for me is so important. So right. casting that vision early about, hey, this isn't, this is not you. Come tell me all your problems, and mm-hmm. I give you wisdom. Mm-hmm. This is us finding wisdom in the text, and and then reproducing it for the kingdom. You know, exactly I, I right. think that's. I think that's super important. Uh I, now you you're obviously a writer and a theologian and so you're studying scripture all the time. Mm-hmm. What kind of disciplines do you do on a daily basis Cow. to stay salty?
1: Yeah. You know, for me, it's just important to get in the text. And so like you said, on my social, I've been doing this 90 days through the Bible. And so it's just a fun way for me to keep myself accountable when you tell the whole world what you're going to (laughs) do. It kind of helps you show up every week and do it. Um, But it just is, how can I just read through scripture? And so I'll put on my headphones and I will just listen to my Bible app and I will just listen to the word and then take time to go through the reflection practices that I've learned over the years to help me dig down deep. And sometimes I don't need to look up the Greek and Hebrew. I just need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit draws to my attention that day and spend some time in prayer. Um, something else I do is called the divine hours. And so it is just a structured way to pray throughout the day. And I found that helpful. Um, sometimes we don't always have the words to pray or we feel like I'm praying the same things. And the divine hours, it's a, it's an online Website that you can go to, but also is a book you can buy on Amazon. And it's just scripture. And it's just scripture that you're praying and just keeps your mind. I always like to um, talk about Alexandra Hoover is another person that I follow online. And she talks about keeping your eyes up and Mm -hmm. how do we keep our eyes up to who God is. And so that really helps me just structured prayer and being in the word. And then when I'm doing well, some Sabbath and solitude are some spiritual practices I throw in there too.
0: Is solitude hard for you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love people. I love talking. And so my favorite thing to do is be around good friends and good food. And so when it's just me and the Lord or just being busy, I think we've learned how to do that in our Western culture It's just, you got to keep producing, got to keep going and just being quiet and not being productive as we would normally say it, but just being present with the Lord. Phones off, no music, just silence and solitude. It's such a sweet space, but it doesn't come easy for me.
0: Uh, me either. It's really hard for me because I yeah. love to talk so much and I love yeah. people and I love mm-hmm. all those things you said. And I'll even use the excuse of like, uh, I need to write something down. This could be really good for a yeah. sermon later <laughs> or like, but how, so how, how do you, um how do you start getting better at it?
1: Yeah, I think I just started to, you just start walking in some sense and not trying to be perfect. Um, and so if my mind drifts off to be okay, it's okay to come back. Um, or I have a little notepad next to me. And so that all the little kind of, there's a squirrel (laughs) ideas that come into my mind, I can write down and have show myself grace. Cause we sometimes I think can enter into the disciplines wanting to be perfect and feel if I'm not perfect, then I just can't do it at all. And it just, is just do a little bit more than you did the day before. Um, five minutes is better than nothing. And five minutes can turn into 10 minutes. And 10 minutes can turn into an hour. And for my superstars out there, you know, there are those people that we read throughout church history who spend days in solitude, but they build up to that. I think we read their story and are like, I could never do that. But you right. can do five or 10 minutes or a half an hour because we do plenty of other things with our time. Um, and so we have the ability, it's just asking the Holy Spirit to do what he does, which is equip us to be present with him.
0: I did my first silent retreat this year, and it was really hard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how, how many days were you out there?
0: Three. It was okay. three. Okay. It was three, and um, what I found is, is that I had to break it up. I had to schedule different activities. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so, like, there were some times where it was like, okay, I'm going to Bible open, journal open, and so yeah. I'm going to do some intense study, and then some intense physical activity, and then some intense walking you know or or yeah. like something kind of uh, uh whimsical almost yeah you know and, and so that it was different but uh it was it wasn't my favorite <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: real that's that's a lot I think three days in silence is is a lot uh
0: but but like you said right you, you only get better at it if you keep doing it if you
1: keep doing it if you keep doing um. it
0: so yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want to change the subject a little bit, sure. um, because I I think it's a worthwhile thing to bring up. So obviously you're an African American woman, and mm-hmm. in a in a theological theological field, um, there aren't many of you mm-hmm. in, in this field. Yeah. And um, I've even noticed as I've tried to be intentional with uh, diversity on my platform, like it's mm-hmm. just there. It's just hard to find. Yeah. And so I would love to just ask a question here and um, out of just really longing for understanding is is yeah. what's it like um, to be such a minority in, in a field like this? And yeah. and as somebody who's not a minority, yeah. what can I do to walk alongside you? Uh, you? You certainly don't need my help in anything. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right way to say it is, but my heart is, is like, how can I support more people better? Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Um, you know, it's difficult because, uh, you know, Christianity in America, for lots of different reasons, um, the voices that dominate the spaces tend to be those of white males. Yeah. And so, you know, on, um, I mean, and again, it's a spectrum. And when you think about who you invite into rooms, you tend to invite people that are in your circles and people that look like you and people that you feel comfortable with. And so I have had people who don't look like me. Some of my best mentors have been other white men or white women who are just really kind and opened up space for me and gave me a seat at the table. They gave me a space to be developed and space to grow. And so for me in those places, sometimes it's a really fun opportunity for me to bring a different perspective, for me to bring the rich tradition of the Black church and African-American Christianity and to let people know that African-Americans have had a huge History with Christianity, and, and Christianity was present in Africa before slavery. And so mm-hmm. to widen people's understanding of what it means to be Christian, specifically with the global church. Um, in other situations, it has not always been easy. Uh, again, that America just has a hard history with racism. There is no American church without racism. Yeah. And so it's an opportunity for all of us to, rock, to come higher. Um, I think people sometimes can feel attacked by that conversation or just tired of it. Um, But it's a beautiful story of people who have overcome in such a way that they want everyone to thrive, which I think links to who we're called to be as image bearers and people that um, are walking out the cultural mandate we see in Genesis 1. And so sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's hard. But this is what the Lord has called me to. And so, you know, I think when you ask, what can you do? One, prayer is always wonderful. Uh, Two, it's open up the door for other people. And so as you think about who you're inviting on your podcast or whose resources that you are recommending, sometimes you have to dig a little deeper to Mm -hmm. find a resource written by a person of color, but that deep dive is worth it because we need to diversify the voices that we're learning from. Just because it's easily accessible doesn't mean it's the best and that we would do the work to find people who love the Lord, but have had different backgrounds than we do. Um, so I'm excited and thankful for what God is doing and has provided through the church. And again, through people who look like me, don't look like me, um, and things are changing. And so more women are being given an opportunity, more African-American women. It's a slow go, but I am happy to talk really loud so that more people can be invited into the room, into the table.
0: That's good. That's really good. And, <laughs> I, you know, it's such a, a, a weird conversation to bring up because you want to be, uh, you know, I want to be honest and authentic about the reality of the things. And I don't want it to ever feel like, I mean, you've got a really good resource here and you know, it doesn't feel like that should be tied to anything else other than it's a really good resource and you're a great theologian and you're putting great content Mm -hmm. out there, but it's also like, Mm -hmm. I can't help but notice, you know, I've got 10 books here on my desk from publishers and you're the only Mm African-American female.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's weird to me, too. I I I just wrestle with that tension so much.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the places of influence that we have that we say, we want you to bring other voices to the table. And so we're talking to publishers or we're talking to a lot of the big networks or communities of Christians that we go to for resources. Like we want to hear different voices. Um, and as we, the church, sometimes have to speak up because it's easier to bring in somebody, you know, or somebody yeah. that you're comfortable with. But the work to find a different voice is worth it because there's Christians who look like me who deserve to hear from someone who
0: looks like them. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, this latest resource, Embrace Your Life, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's kind of a, a different book because it's 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 written in a very fun way, right? You use yeah. the word friend yeah. multiple times throughout yeah. there. It's it's you're like it's like we're conversating yeah. right here today, and yet it's also a book about some very serious stuff, right? Like, I I mean, we talk, you talk about, and there's all stuff I want to get into lament and all all these different parts of the journey. How did you feel like this was the time um, to write a book about, about this kind of what some would consider a heavy topic?
1: Yeah. Ministry has provided me with lots of different opportunities. And one of them is having plenty of people who sat in the chairs in my office who have problems that are not easy to fix. Mm -hmm. And as a single woman, um, I always I talk about singleness in the book. The book is not about singleness, but we just have right. a, 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 a life season that I think is easy for people to understand um, in terms of what I'm talking about in the book. But it's that the easy answers aren't the best ones. And so mm-hmm. how do I equip people to handle the things in their life that are hard to handle, where the seasons of suffering or longing don't quickly get resolved or um, change? And that we cannot be stuck. I think I would see two different types of people, one group who would really thrive, like no matter what they were going through. Another group would just get really stuck, like stuck for years. And so, you know, I think the Lord just, he bubbles it up inside of you. It's been a message that has been growing and the Lord's been working in my life probably for a decade. And so I was like, okay, now's the time I'm sitting here. It's, I'm inside my apartment. It's pandemic. I don't have anything else to do. Let's write this book. And let's help people navigate a season that nobody wants to be what we're doing right now. So maybe what the Lord's given me can help people in what we're walking through in this current uh, pandemic season. But it was, I want to help people. And I want to be a voice that helps them walk through the hard things with a deep truth, not the sugary sweet stuff.
0: Uh, you dedicated the book to two, um, it seems like very special women in your life. Yeah. Your your Nana and your No-No. Am I saying that right? Nana. Nana. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, I, I'm curious, what what made you think of them as you wrote yeah. this book?
1: Yeah. Well, my, my Nana, uh, she wrote books for her entire life. She taught mm-hmm. women's Bible study for about 30 years. And she wrote a whole series of children's books about the African-American presence in the Bible, the African presence in the Bible. And she was never able to get published. And wow. so stories of her and my dad walking around the different bookstores and them just not picking up her book. And she ne- like never stopped writing. Up until uh, when she before she passed, she she passed because of cancer. I mean, months before. Before things got, just got really bad and she was just really mm. sick. She was still writing and still writing books. <laughs> and I'd be there with her and try to put activities in the back of the book. And so my grandmother, to me, had a fight in her. That no matter what, she never gave up on her dream. And my mm. dad is currently working on publishing her books, which is a really fun process to see him do. Um, that his mother would be really proud And so she's the first one, because I feel like I get to do what she would have loved to do. And so extend that legacy. And then the next one is just a friend who has been carrying some really heavy life stuff. And so Mm. I had lots of conversations with her about this book. And I was like, look, whatever I write, Nana's got to be able to co-sign off on, because she's going to tell me, okay, Liz, that sounds great, but that's, no, that's not the real deal. So to me, it's a person who's been fighting for a long time just to live and to be vibrant alongside what she's carrying. Um, And I wanted to be able to just honor her story and honor the inspiration I received from her um, as I was writing the book.
0: Hey guys, just uh, pausing this conversation with Liz to let you know about an exciting new opportunity. That's right. In my ministry here at Spirit & Truth, we are putting together what we're calling a business leaders cohort. Once a month for four hours, we're going to gather like-minded leaders to walk in the faith. And, uh, it is going to be an opportunity to grow spiritually and physically, and I know you're going to want to be a part of it. So do me a favor, check us out, spiritandtruth.life, uh, underneath resources, the business leaders cohort, it's there, you'll find it online. If you're interested or you want to get connected, let's do it. So uh, be sure to let me know if you got questions or if you want to get connected, and uh, I'd love to do this with you guys. Now, let's continue our conversation with Liz. What was her feedback when she got to read it? I'm, I'm assuming she got to read it. <laughs>
1: she got to read it. And so she had good feedback. Um, one of the illustrations in the book, I, I changed everybody's name, uh, but one of the illustrations is about her. And so I was like, I've sent it to her before. I sent it off to the publisher. I was like, do you like this? Is this is this a good representation of who you are? And she's like, yeah, you did good, Liz. You did
0: good. That's so good. Mm-hmm. I, are Do you have a lot of people in your life like that, older women who are, are speaking in, Um, What what do you do to intentionally nurture those relationships? Because I just don't think it's easy.
1: Oh, it's not easy. Um, I think, again, it goes back to that you're just hungry for community. And so um, that was just wisdom my parents gave me as a kid is to just find yourself around people who are older than you and older in the faith, because sometimes they can be your age, but they're just really Mm -hmm. deep in wisdom and just be at the feet. You know, so you just show up. And so I will say, hey, how you doing? Can we hang out? Can we have coffee? Um, Can I show up to your house and sit on your couch and just learn from you? And so that is a routine thing that I will do to initiate to spend time with people. And it doesn't have to be anything structured. It just is. I just want to learn and do life with you. But I take the responsibility to find myself in those places. I don't wait for them to come and see about me.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a really good word for a lot of people mm-hmm. listening. You can't wait on someone to want to come and decide because they don't even know. They got their yeah, own right. stuff. And exactly. no one ever, I, I don't know what your experience, but I never felt qualified to make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, just called. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: I'm take one step. I'm one step ahead. <laughs> that's you know, sometimes how you feel. So if you want to jump come, jump on for the ride, <laughs> you know, feel free to do so. <laughs>
0: Oh, you used one of my favorite words in the book, uh, somewhere that God has been speaking to me a lot about lately at this idea of lament. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk a little about why, um, just from your experience, Mm -hmm. why why so many Christians struggle with the idea of lament and and maybe, maybe even give us a definition uh, of what that is and, um, how important it is for our relationship with God.
1: Yeah. Lament is this structured process, uh, that a lot of different cultures use, uh, are, uh, it's a process that the nation of Israel would use to be able to deal with their pain. Some people are more familiar with like mourning, um, but even I talk about the life of Joshua. And so when Moses dies, Israel sets apart 30 days just to grieve the death of Moses. And so it is this structured uh, practice that you can do to how do I deal with my pain and where Mm -hmm. do I bring it? And what we see in scripture is that you bring it before the Lord. And so one of my favorite Psalms, I love to point people to is Psalm 13. Many of the Psalms you read are Psalms of lament that the people of scripture were honest about their pain and they brought it to the Lord. Somehow, in the mystery of who God is, they made it to the right place at the end. I always like to say that the space between the beginning of the psalm and the end of the psalm, I, there's a little space in between when they wrote it. I don't think we overcome things immediately overnight all the time. Um, but I, in our culture, I think we just are afraid of pain. We don't yeah. know what to do with it, it makes us feel awkward. We are constantly being discipled by the world. Discipleship is not something that is unique to Christianity. We just Mm. do it right. And so the world will form us to believe that you have all these options to deal with your pain. You can eat. You can um, buy a bunch of stuff. You can do a bunch of other different coping mechanisms or control. Just get busier. You just need to fill your schedule so you don't think about it at all. So we don't have to worry about it. And I think what we are seeing in our day and time is people realize the pain doesn't go away. It just pops yeah. up in different places. You think about the music we sing in church. And most of the music we sing are really upbeat worship songs. Like we don't sit in the really sad moments for long. Like the, the crescendo of the music is going to take us back up out of that kind of sad interlude. We're going to be there for a little bit, but then we're going to go back to the praise. And it just says, yeah. what does it mean for us? You know, I think about the hymns I sung when I grew up in, in, I grew up in an old Baptist church and the hymns I would sing that would speak to the pain, but also speak to the truth of who God is. And that's okay. And so part of it is we haven't been taught lament. Part of it is we're in a society that teaches us to run from our pain. And part of it is it's like, well, if I come here, nothing's going to change anyway. And the truth is you cry out to God because you believe he can do something. And so lament mm. is pregnant with hope. And even though we can't fully see it, Something happens when we go to him in that posture. And I think it is a beautiful spiritual discipline that the church sometimes has forgotten. um, But I believe we're in a season where it is appropriate for us to come back to it because we got a lot of pain. We're trying to figure out what to do with.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful line. Lament is pregnant with hope. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that that's probably a good reminder. If somebody was going to like dip their toe into the practice of lament and maybe their church isn't there yet, or they're just yeah. not in that, the church isn't in that season, but they are. Yeah. Um. H- how would you recommend someone get started on dealing with yeah. pain? And, and that, I mean, certainly there's enough pain to go around, right? Like yeah. there's, uh, how, how do we get started on that journey?
1: Yeah. It, what I like to give people are three steps. One, it, you can do this in a journal. So if you like to journal, it's a great exercise to do Um, it that way. You can just, in prayer to the Lord, um, again, set some time, solitude, just get away, you and the Lord, <laughs> and tell them. So tell the Lord what's going on. Yeah. And I encourage people, be as honest as you want to be. You don't have to use fancy words. Your words don't have to be um, devoid of emotion. Be as, If you're frustrated, tell God you're frustrated. If you're angry, tell him you're angry. If you're angry with him because you feel like he hasn't made good on what you feel like he's promised you, tell him mm-hmm. what's going on. Be as honest as you can be and then ask the Lord for what you need. Do you need provision? Do you need comfort? Do you need him to deliver you from something out of a really hard situation? Do you just need just the extra grace to make it through? Whatever you need, ask him for it. And at the very end, remind yourself of what's true about God. And it's He mm-hmm. does. David does this in Psalm 13, and I think it's maybe a few verses, and each section is like two, two or three verses of the tell him, ask him, and then trust him. Like, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you that you are who you say you are. And so when we read through scripture, part of the reason we study is so we can know who God is. So in the moments we need to remind ourselves, God, I believe you're sovereign. You created the entire world. That you have the power to do anything. And so you have the power to show up in my situation. God, I know you're faithful. You promised salvation in Genesis. And you came through with Jesus. And if you can be faithful to fulfill my promise for eternity, I think you can fix the small stuff now. So we ask, him, tell him what's going on, ask him to help us, and then just verbally affirm our trust for God. And in that space, I believe he shows up.
0: That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I think it's very practical. Um, You you mentioned a little bit ago about um, Joshua. You you kind of use Joshua as uh, um, an example or almost a guide in, in a sense in the book. Uh, what what made you choose Joshua? <laughs> what what about like out of all the people in scripture, it's like, oh, let me just pick Joshua. Pick Joshua. Right.
1: I am a huge fan of just the story of the nation of Israel and just mm. reading a lot through the Old Testament. They're just ordinary people try to live with the Lord. And I think you get to see a lot just about what it means to be faithful in the mountaintops and the valleys. And to me, Joshua always stood out because of this moment of transition that happens at the very beginning. And so as you read scriptures, this build up to the promises that God has made becoming fulfilled. And you get to Joshua, the book of Joshua, and they finally made it. They are at the Jordan River about to cross over into the land of Canaan and Moses dies. <laughs> and so you have this uh, really epic moment juxtaposed next to this really sad moment. That the man that took them out of Egypt, delivered, helped deliver them from slavery, that Joshua would have worked alongside for 40 years. He's not there anymore. Yeah. And, you know, as we read through scripture, sometimes we can we can believe that the people we read about just don't deal with normal stuff. And Joshua is human. And that means that he had emotions. And I want to say in his own way, he cared for Moses deeply. And so how does he process this deep grief and yet launch out onto this huge mission that God has him to and to see what God tells him? Like, it's like this moment of pause right before Joshua has to jump back into the action. At the first, the second verse, God tells them, Moses is dead, get up. And you're like, okay, that feels a little sensitive to me. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> you go to do right. I mean, you see that they had time to mourn, but you see what God tells Joshua. And so that moment, what God tells him, what he reminds him of, was just so powerful to me. And so it's from there, it's like, how do I embrace what God has given me when the life isn't what I want it to be? And so that passage has always been an inspiration for that wrestle I've had in my own life.
0: Uh, What did you learn about Joshua as you did this deeper study that you didn't know before? (laughs) Was there any like aha moment or like? Oh, that's weird. Or, oh, like, I, I mean, any good nuggets out there that you were like, I just didn't, I, you know, I, maybe you had studied him really in depth before, but mm-hmm. I'm sure putting all this on paper really caused you to look at him in a different way.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, Joshua is this, uh, first of all, he's this battle warrior, right? Mm. So like you read, the book of Joshua is full of a lot of fighting.
0: <laughs> and
1: yes. um, I think what stood out to me about that is the life that God promised Joshua or gave him wasn't easy. Um, and so you have like we we want to believe that what's next is gonna be it's just gonna be easy and it's gonna be calm. And God's like, nah, I didn't say that. I just said I'd be with you in it. And mm-hmm. so I see this massive amount of war that Joshua leads the people through. And always what stands out to me, especially as you continue to read through judges <laughs> and the second Samuel and the rest of the history of Israel's monarchy is Joshua's faithfulness. Yeah, like he was faithful to the end um, and the decisions that he had to make in the midst of that faithfulness. I just love just learning about the leaders in scripture and what leadership requires. Cause that's a whole mm. nother jungle of what it means to lead people and just seeing his like faithfulness when he sometimes that meant he would stand by himself. So it was a lot of like leadership. Um, what does it mean to walk with the Lord in the midst of a season that Joshua's life wasn't easy. And that's really just captured me in terms of the life that I believe God has called us to lead and how we respond to it.
0: Now, one of the first things you do in the book is talk about this idea about embracing help. Mm-hmm. And then you you talk about one of my other favorite things in the world, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so uh, I always tell people that I'm a charismatic Orthodox. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, and I, I, I pastor in the Methodist church, so we're weird. Um, but, uh, can you talk a little bit about why starting with help and, and the idea of the Holy spirit and, and kind of your experience, why do we struggle so much letting the Holy spirit help us?
1: Um, you know, I think different people have different comfort levels with the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, to know that you have to be quiet enough to be able to know that you have a problem. yeah. And I think before we can do this deep dive into how do we solve the things that we are dealing with, we got to be able to admit something's wrong and I don't have the power to fix it. Because if I did, I would have. And you wouldn't be reading my book. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's <laughs> that what I'm asking you to embark upon is a really difficult journey. And to at the very beginning say, you, this is not a self-help book. This is not me right. saying you need to muster up your own strength, you know, pull your bootstraps up. We're going to walk on the journey. It says, you can't do this by yourself. Before we go anywhere, let me tell you that the person you need is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And he can, when we listen and we submit and we mm-hmm. hear the direction he gives us and we follow, that he does a transformative work. I always say that the Holy Spirit, we can't do it without him. But he ain't gonna force us to do nothing. <laughs> and, you know, like he's gracious and he's patient. Uh he has a way of orchestrating situations so that we end up where we need to be, but that we would submit to the help. And to hmm. me, the you know, I've been and been in ministry and you know that recovery programs, your first step is a minute you have a problem. And yeah. sometimes we can't do that because we can't see clearly and we need to let the Holy Spirit help us see.
0: How important was it for you to add uh, the practical self-examination, the practice of self-examination? Because you put it at the end of the chapters and mm-hmm. it's, it's. I mean, this is not a self-help book, but it's not a leave yourself where you're at book either.
1: Right, right. Like, to me, I wanted to give first to get people like hooks to hang their hat on. You know, we could talk about all this stuff about what it means to to let the Holy Spirit help you, but then what can you do? Like, okay, Elizabeth, I read your words. That's great, but what do I do? And so how do I sit in this place? Mm. I love uh, the words at the end of the Psalm 139. Like, search me, God. Um, and if there's anything mm. that doesn't need to be there, anything that doesn't match up with, with the will you have for me, which is ultimately that we would look like Christ, then can you kind of dig that out and lead me in the right way? And um, to me, that this this process, again, like steps people can take practical things they can walk through to have time to think about themselves, but not think about themselves like navel gazing, but think about themselves in light of who God is and what he has for them. And so it's an invitation to come alongside what the Holy Spirit is ready and waiting to do in people's lives.
0: And again, I think it goes back to what you said earlier, right? It really is. uh, This is one of those things that you just really need to practice. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, this isn't, you know, self-examination and all this stuff is not, I mean, I I don't know about you, but it just has never come easy for me. Yeah. Um, But the more I do it, the more attainable it feels.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: So, you know, as this book now kind of seeps into the wild uh, and it gets out there, my audience loves to pray. And I would be curious, what are some of the things that they can pray for uh, as, you know, as this book reaches the multitudes
1: uh what i what i would ask them to pray for is that the book would get in the hands of the people who need it and mm. so whether it's it somebody listens to a podcast they see a social media ad they see something i post or a friend recommends it that they would get it in their hands and that the holy spirit would just do a work in their lives like i i think my heart goes out for people who feel really hopeless mm. and they feel stuck and they're caught in the in the the trenches or valleys of despair, and they just don't know how to get out. And that's who I tried to keep in the front of my mind as I was writing this book. And the reason I write it conversational, the reason I say friend a lot is because I want to let them know, hey, you're not alone, yeah. that you're journeying through this book with a friend, and we're going to do this together, and you're going to cry, but you're also going to rejoice in what God has for you. And so my main prayer is that it would get in the right hands and that the Lord would really help people. And he'd help them live and thrive with the life he's given them and to help them see clearly and give them hope and to know how much he loves them and the big plans he has for their life and the goodness, even if the goodness doesn't include the good that they might Mm -hmm. desire. Um, So that would be my main biggest prayer that if your folks could uh, put before the Lord, that'd be amazing.
0: That was a whole sermon right there. Listen, you should probably rewind that and go listen to that again, because <laughs> there's some, there some nuggets in there that are, are worth chewing on a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so, okay, I have one more question for you, but before I ask it, um, I know that my audience is going to want to connect with you all yeah. over the interwebs. Yeah. Where is the best place to find All Things Liz?
1: You can find All Things Liz on my website, elizabethwoodson.org, or if you love social media... I am on all major platforms minus TikTok. I can't do it, um, and it is at Miss Jazzy Liz M I S S J A Z Z Y L I Z.
0: Excellent, and again, I, I I follow you on Instagram. I highly recommend it. And you, by the way, you're putting out reels. That's basically TikTok.
1: <laughs> I appreciate. It. I'm trying. I'm trying. (laughs) You're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing great.
0: Uh, Okay, last question I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. I'm going to ask you to give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to take you back to a very specific time in your life.
1: Okay.
0: So the day after you graduated seminary, you went to Dallas Uh, Theological Seminary. uh, If you could go back and talk to that younger version of Liz and sit down right in front of her and put your hands on her face and say, all right, listen. What's the one thing you're going to tell her?
1: <laughs> it's going to get hard. <laughs> <laughs> but trust the Lord for who he says he is. Hmm. Um, I would tell say you, you've you gotten a talker. What advice? Well, one thing I would give myself um, that God is with you and act like it. Uh, yeah. Like be strong, be strong. That's what I would say without going into a hole
0: another sermon <laughs> I like it I mean, listen we're here for the sermon so it's uh, and I would probably yeah, that's great. that's wonderful. that's wonderful um, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today and for being uh, putting your heart and soul into this work and for what you do for the community, the kingdom and I just really appreciate it well,
1: thank you Tony. it's been a joy to be here today.
0: Man, what such good dialogue. So thankful for her heart, for disciple-making, for her deep dive into pain. I know you guys are too. Do me a favor, follow her on the interwebs, check her out, get connected, pick up a copy of your book, Embrace Your Life. Such good stuff. As always, guys, I'm thankful for you. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.